the journey of study that we have, have been exploring is, is, a, is a bit of a reflection on some of what many of us would maybe say were our favorite Bible stories. But specifically in the book of, of Daniel, there are narratives that are, are more than just stories. Not that they're not stories and that there can be some, some multiple takeaways, but this, the, the strategic place and time in which they're recorded uh, have led some, and I would be uh, joining their ranks to say these are unique and, and, and specific for maybe even an end-time apocalyptic uh, meaning. So uh, maybe you were part of the worship time and study time this morning, uh, looking at how in the narratives of Scripture there is theology, and they call it um, narrative theology, where, where you read a story, and out of that there is a, a, a theological truth, uh, a, a teaching of God, of who God is in that story. And what we have been discovering is that in the book of Daniel, the narratives are actually prophetic. And that's not completely rare or strange to Scripture. There are prophetic songs in Scripture. There's prophetic names in Scripture. Individuals given names for purposes and experiences. There are certainly prophecies in Scripture. There are symbol, uh, prophetic symbols in Scripture. But we've as a community, as a, an Adventist community, uh, more specifically my faith community, we've been very interested in prophecy, but have not spent much time thinking of the, uh, the narrative prophecy or the prophecies that are embedded in the narratives. And so that's what we've been doing. Now this afternoon, uh, we've, we've talked about the three worthies, uh, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, which... Is is just is just full. I want to say pregnant. Uh, I just don't know. If, I think I th yeah, pregnant. Pre it's a, it's a story pregnant with with prophetic connections in that they were thrown into a fiery furnace, and the end of the great controversy ends or concludes with. Satan and his host being thrown into a fiery furnace. So uh, a bit of a unique twist in the story. This afternoon, we are going to probably the foremost story in the book of Daniel narrative, which would be Daniel and the lion's den. It is, it is, I, I would, I, I want to use words like most. It is the most intense and has probably the most to unpack and so we would do well to just begin our study with it we we won't get I, I wonder if we could just tease it a bit and then we'll leave it for this afternoon uh, time won't avail us our attention spans won't avail us uh, but we can begin this so so bear with me and if it leaves 
uh, without being completely unpacked, know that that's probably um, maybe even better to leave it there. I, I was reflecting this afternoon on a story uh, C.D. Brooks liked to tell about a, a fire that took place uh, in the Middle East. A home wa was caught fire and uh, the resident, a man, had, had escaped outside and then forced his way back through those who were helping to extinguish the fire back into the house uh, because he wanted to save his valuables. And he never came out. They found him in the ashes, dead, clutching his ivory idols. And this is what C.D. Brooks says. He says, the headlines in the paper read, man dies trying to save his God. And the exact opposite is our story with our God. He dies to save us. That, be, that becomes a platform in which I want to build where we go next. So just let that be. We're going to come back to that. This, this platform that our journey with God is one where he was willing to die, to empty himself. That's, that, was, that was completely at odds with all religions of antiquity and modernity. There, there's, no, there's no other religion that comes where God empties himself out for us, for the followers. So let that be the platform, uh, and, we'll, and we'll circle back. You'll, you'll, you'll re recognize it when we come full circle. Daniel chapter 6 is the passage chapter where Daniel and the lion's den. Again, a story strategically placed in the book of Daniel. If you were if you were just telling a a if if you were just writing and you were going to write stories for the sake of telling stories, you might be more inclined to write maybe the first three or four chapters in stories and then the rest of the chapters in prophecy. But that's not how the book of Daniel is. It sprinkles the stories through the chapters. So you have uh, the the capture in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 2, then is a vision. Daniel chapter 3, then is another narrative. And, and it, it kind of weaves them in and out. And there's a, there's, what, we, what we have to understand is that Bible writers had to give incredible focus to how things were written because that's how they communicated importance and intent and meaning. So Daniel chapter 6 is not is not haphazard in how it proceeds, immediately proceeds Daniel chapter 7. All right, Daniel chapter 6. Darius has, has set up his, his kingdom and established all of his leaders. 
And Daniel distinguishes himself. He's, he kind of rises to the top. Uh, he's, uh, he has exceptional qualities. So, so pick it up in verse 3 with me. Now Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So the plan gets out. Who's going to get the promotion? Everybody hears it's going to be Daniel. At this, hearing that there would be this promotion, the administrators tried to find conduct of government affairs, but they were unable. This becomes then uh, a setup for probably the most operative verse in this story. We haven't even got to the lion's den, but this becomes the operative verse. Daniel chapter uh, 6 and verse that's verse 4. He was faithful, neither corrupt. He was, he was responsible. They couldn't find anything to pick. Then verse 5. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And that becomes, that becomes the platform for the next two chapters. Daniel is faithfully serving, except for when it contradicts the covenant he has with God. And the rest of these guys from all over the world... Say, we can, we're, we're not going to be able to... Look, he, he's so diligent. He's so careful. We won't catch him, except it has to do with the law, concerns the law of his God. So, what do they know to do? Jumping down to verse 10. They set up a law that is, uh, requires something that he can't do. Daniel chapter uh, 6 and verse 10. When Daniel learned, this is, this is operative. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. When Daniel learned that the law had been enforced and put in place, he knew it. It sets it up so that it, it's not just that he's, uh, he's ignorant of it. He is actually... Oh, he knows. He knows. So it's, it's, it's setting the stage for, for not willful disobedience, but intentional obedience. You see, not willful, willful disobedience to, to the laws of the land, but intentional obedience to the law of God. When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home. As his custom was, he prayed. Verse 12. So when they went to the king, they found him praying. They went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Do you not, did you not publish a decree that during the next that during the next 30 days, did you not publish this decree? 
He says, yep, the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be altered. That is changed. Catch, just, just in the context of the great controversy, in the context of what we know Revelation will unpack later, read this story, listening for these key words. Here, we can't find any fault in, them ex in him except for the law of his God. Daniel knew that the decree had been published when he, when he then takes, continues his stand. And then the king says, yeah, there's this law, and it cannot be altered. Just the, it's a law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be changed. What happens in Daniel chapter 7? You don't have to answer that because we're going to go there in just a minute. But what happens in Daniel chapter 7? So all of this sets up the, the unfolding of the prophecy that comes in the next chapter. Now, one more, one more connection here. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 22. So now he's, he's, he's been thrown into the, the lion's den. The king hated to do it, but he threw Daniel into the lion's den. And, and the king says, coincidentally, the king knows enough about Daniel and his God that he says to Daniel, may it be that your God takes care of you. But he comes back. The king comes back. says, Daniel, how are you doing? The next morning, my God has sent his angel and he has shut the mouths of the lions that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. This is the, this is the replay of the fiery furnace. Except, except it's just a little more than coincidence that Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Daniel chapter 6 closes, and Daniel chapter 7 begins. Daniel had a dream. Four beasts. Chapter, uh, verse 4 of, of, of Daniel chapter 7. The first beast was like a lion. It's not the only time in Scripture by far, but there is a, there is at times, a, and Jesus actually uses this, I wish we had time to talk about that, uh, a, a mode, a, a, a communication where when, when, there are, when, when there is something troublesome, the first, uh, the first element will be addressed and what it communicates is the rest are of no threat. Daniel has come out of the lion's den in chapter 6. The, the, the vision he has then is, Daniel, here are beasts. And they're coming up out of the churning. Man, it's, it's trouble sometimes. And, and the first is like a lion. And Daniel immediately recognizes God has already delivered him from the lion. The rest of whatever comes next is already in God's control. So Daniel, Daniel knows this, his own proclamation. Because I have been faithful to God, because I have been faithful to his law, I have nothing to worry about. Now Daniel becomes 
becomes concerned later for a lot of other reasons. I mean, the paradigm is shifting. He's trying to understand how this paradigm shifts with, with all that he knows as a Jew. But here's the connections between chapter 6 and chapter 7. The law. The law becomes fundamental or central to the controversy in Daniel chapter 6. The law becomes central to the controversy in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. Speaking, and, and I am, uh, we are flying over so many elements here, but you're, I, I, I'm, I'm just leaning on, on, the, on the assumption that, that you, have, you have studied much of this yourself. And so forgive me if you're saying, ooh, there's just some connections that are not making sense. But again, it would, it would, the journey would be uh, very, very long if, if, we, if we had to unpack all of it. So just, just, just bear with me, and, and we'll get to a, a nice unpacking here. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, though, he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. This, this is code for the connection back to Daniel chapter 6 where there was a law declared by man that was unchangeable and it conflicted with another law of God. What did Daniel do? When a law that could not be changed as stated by man conflicted with the law, the eternal covenant that he knew could not be changed. Daniel stuck with the eternal covenant, the law that he knew was set upon a much higher standard. It was, there was no question for him. Here's the prophetic conclusion. There will come a time when the laws of the land will conflict with the law of God. That they will require, and that, the, and that man, and even, even those who, are, who are, are religious will draw conclusions that there must be a law that cannot be altered. Darius, the law, the Medes, and the Persians, we can't alter this law. And the faithful, they won't be able to find any, any complaints against those who are serving the God of heaven, except that they've chosen his law over their law. I'm going to point you to a book that maybe you have spent time in. It's a, it's a compilation, it's devotional, the book of Maranatha. Have you read it a bit? I, I, uh, I had been exposed to it years ago a couple times. Hey, let's read a devotional. I'd be at somebody's home, and I had never read through it. And it's a, a compilation, so there's, there's uh, a great amount borrowed from the great controversy, early writings, selected messages, and such. But it landed back in, on my nightstand this last year, and I have 
I haven't been doing the daily reading. I, I actually spend my weekends just reading the entire week. But some of the most, some of the most direct, noteworthy lines I have ever read come from, come from the book, Maranatha. Now, I will, I will also say, uh, and, and clarify, that as I've read it, it's, it's, it's most fulfilling to go back to the original. So when it's great controversy is cited or, or early writings is cited, it's, it's, it's best to go back and, and gather the entire context. I, I, I have concluded that. But here in September, just this last week actually, date. She says that that there will come a time of persecution and a time of Jacob's trouble. The saints will cry out with anguish asking for deliverance from God. Not one of them will perish because of their stand for the law of God. That's Daniel's story. She can throw, she, and I don't know how literal she's trying to be. She says that the swords will break in half. I, I don't know that anybody's going to be using too many swords, but let's say they are. But there it is. It's Daniel chapter 6 again. There is a people that take a stand for the law of God in direct contradiction with a newly formed law that contradicts the law of God that people say, we can't change that law. We can't alter it. We can't adjust it for you Sabbatarians. We can't, we can't accommodate. We have to stand firm on this law because this will save our country. It will save our planet. It will save our society. Whatever the argument is, they will enforce it. We can't alter it. And it will be in direct contradiction with the law of God. And there will be results, punishment, because of it. But if the story of Daniel chapter 6 and the confirmation of the spirit of prophecy is correct, there will be lion's dens, figuratively speaking. But not one will perish because of it. My God, my God has shut the lion's mouth. And then, the very thing that they claim cannot be done about their law, they will seek to do to God's law. The very thing where we say, the laws of our land cannot be altered, we must stick to it, we must enforce it, that they will be doing just the opposite to God's law. But yes, this law can be... How Satan has ever got taken us to this point, I do not know. There's one more connection here in Daniel chapter 7. And then I want to jump into a little conversation about how that law, what that law is. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 
9. I think I got it on the screen here. You got your Bibles, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. As I looked... So this is set up with the Daniel chapter 6, this, this conflict of the, of the law. Law of, of the land versus the law of God. That's the conflict. That's the, that's the rub in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 7 now sets that up with beginning to talk about the kingdoms and, and how they kind of climax in this power that seeks to change set times and laws. But Daniel, earlier in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, As I looked, there was thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. His throne was flaming with fire, and the wheels were all ablaze. If you continue to read in verse 10, thousands upon thousands attended him, ten thousands upon ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. The throne becomes a central point before all of the, all of the rest of Daniel chapter 7 and, and this little horn power and all that we, can un, we could unpack in Daniel chapter 7, the throne becomes a central part of that conversation. For judgment, yes, but, but, but there's more there. There's more there. So I, want, I, I wish if, if you could just kind of put that... Put that on the table and just say there's something about the thrones being a central part of this conversation about the law of God and the, and the controversy. So just put that on the table and we'll be right back to it. Revelation chapter 12 and uh, 14 and verse 12 or 12 and verse 17. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. This is the description of those at the very end. They have a, a covenant relationship with their God that they're unwilling to break. We can't do it. I know you're saying your laws are, cannot be altered, but I have, I have to stay faithful to the law that I know, that I know, that I know cannot be changed. That's the description of the end time people. The very description that we could give the man Daniel in, in Daniel chapter 6. Let's talk about that law for a minute. A minute. The commandments. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. There's a story told of a, an old chief, a tribe in, uh, in northern Africa. The missionary was there communicating the teachings of the Bible to this chief. And the chief uh, listened patiently and intently. And the missionary was very dogmatic. The, God has a law. God, God has, has expectations we must obey. 
and the and the and the chief. <laughs> Let me read you this 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 response. He responds, I, I don't completely understand. You tell me I must not take my neighbor's wife. That's right, said the missionary. Or his ivory. Or his oxen. That's right. I must not dance the war dance and then ambush him on the trail and kill him. That's right. Absolutely right, said the missionary. And then the chief leans back and says... But I cannot do any of these things. I'm too old. To be old must be to be Christian. They must be the same thing. It's a bit telling on the community of faith that I'm a part of. We've resigned ourselves to we won't admit it we won't admit it but we have resigned a bit to the commandments being a a bit of a, a checklist thou shalt have no other gods before me most of us don't know any other gods you should not form an image No problem. Seems weird anyway. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. No problem. Maybe maybe I need to stop saying or texting OMG. But otherwise, I've got that one. Remember the Sabbath day. No problem. I enjoy the Sabbath anyway. It's nice to have a break from studies or work. And we've just kind of checked them off. And the truth is, I, was, I reflected uh, just a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the fact is, is that you could accidentally keep the Ten Commandments. If you have a job that does not require Sabbath work, and you weren't one that used profanity, uh, idols, no problem, other gods, not a big deal. You weren't into lying. You weren't into cheating. You weren't into murdering. You, you, didn't, you had everything you wanted. You didn't covet somebody else. You could accidentally be a Ten Commandment keeper. Just like the chief says, to be old. You get so old, you just don't have energy for anything. As Sabbath, you keep every day off. You're just old. <laughs> Do you see the problem that we've put ourselves into? We have, we have placed the, the covenant, the, the eternal law of God as something that you could stumble into and have zero relationship with God. That's not what it was meant to be. That's not what it was for Daniel. And if that's what it is to the end-time people of God, they will fall when they are told that there is another law that cannot be altered and there's a lion's den that awaits those who try to resist it. Well, that's, that's, that's a different conversation. That's, well, let's talk. 
Joy Davidman. Have you ever read any of her stuff, Joy Davidman? I didn't know much about her. I read, I read my first book of hers this summer, uh, Smoke on the Mountain. Joy Davidman was an atheist converted by C.S. Lewis, who also happened to be a former atheist. So a former atheist begins sharing the, the gospel and converts another atheist. She meets C.S. Lewis, Joy Davidman does. They fall in love and get married. Joy Davidman is, it was C.S. Lewis's wife, also his convert. So we've, we've seen that play out in Adventism before. <laughs> anyway, okay, let me just read for you, rapid fire here. Uh, some of the text, it just, and it, it is, it's just going to be the text that, uh, Arden, I'll, I'll give you this. This is, I am as poor using that as, so just track with me best you can. I want to just read some of these texts and just kind of flood over us some of the passages talking about the law of God. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Read this in the reflection of what law means to us today. Not just God's law, but law, the law, the, the rules of the school, the laws of the land. What is the, are, are we in San Bernardino County? Is that what the county is? Yeah, yeah. What if, what if the county here, or even the little community of Loma Linda, or the state of California, what if the state of California used that kind of language about their laws? That would be weird. They're going to write them on our minds, in our hearts. They will be to us a special someone, a God. I will be, and, 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 and we'll be to them a people. It, it's just... There's something more here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse, starting at verse 3. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. The law? Even Daniel chapter 9 and verse 4, one of my favorite verses on, on, the, on the law of God. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Of course, this is what Jesus referred to in John 14, verse 12. If you love me, keep my commandments. Beloved, do you catch the, 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 the feelings, the amount of feelings that, that Scripture God places in a conversation about the law? We have, we have all together minimalized it to, to be this. I, we, we won't admit it, but it is a checklist. 
but it can't be. Listen to these words. Bind these words to your heart and to your mind. Talk about them when you when you lie down, when you rise up and when you walk in the way. Make sure your kids know about them. There must be something so much deeper. And then to know that, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't even, very seldomly, maybe two or three times in the Old Testament, is the actual expression like commandments. The Bible describes the law of God as a covenant. Exodus chapter 20 and, and, uh, and verse 1, it won't be on the screen, let me just read it for you here. And God spoke all of these words. He uses this idea of words, which is where the, the Greek came up with decalogue, ten words, decalogos. They're ten words of covenant. And if you, and if you read them in the context of what... Of, of their time, they very much parallel a relationship covenant between two people. Not the expectations of a God to... That's what the people were used to. Okay, the gods tell us their, their expectations. And by the way, it was impossible to serve the gods of antiquity because by serving one God, you directly disobeyed another God. So you are constantly running in circles because it's just impossible. You serve the God of, of one thing, and, and while you did that, you were disobeying the God of something else. But here this, this God shows up and says, no, 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 I'm not going to deliver just a set of mandates. I'm going to enter into a covenant whereby you can hold me accountable, and I will hold you accountable. It's exactly what we do at the marriage altar. Let me give you two exhibits. Exhibit A. Go to Exodus 24. Exodus 24. Exodus 24 and verse 9. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the 70 elders. So 74 of them went up. And verse 10, and saw the God of Israel under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli. This is sapphire, as bright blue as the sky. So here they see God standing on a pavement. And it's bright blue as the sky. That, we come to find out, is his throne. So remember the connection with Daniel chapter 7, that God's throne becomes centerpiece in this controversy. And here God is standing on his... Say, wait a minute, wait a minute, how, how do we get to his throne? Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 26. We throw it on the... No, it won't be on the screen. I think it's on there. But now it's, we're, we're way, be, way behind, way behind. 
Keep going, keep going. Get to Ezekiel 1 and verse 26. Ezekiel 1 and verse 26. And above the firmament, firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance. It was like a sapphire stone. It's also repeated in, in Ezekiel 1 and verse uh, 10. No, 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 no. Uh, Ezekiel 10 and verse 1. Oh, Ezekiel, yes, Ezekiel 1 and verse 10. Ezekiel 1 and verse 26. Uh, it's repeated. That God's throne is, is, is made of sapphire. So here's this blue throne. I believe, coincidentally, that's why God made it so that the sky was blue. Now, I know there's scientific reasons the way the light hits and the, and the colors disperse and, the, and blue. I, I understand that, but I also know who made the science. So God can say, I want the sky to be blue, and I'm going to give it a scientific reason why it can be blue. But I believe that the, the dome of heaven reflects his throne. You can't see the sky and not know that God is still on his throne. Okay, but Exodus, back to Exodus 24. So Moses and the, the other 73, they're looking up and they're seeing God standing at his throne on that sapphire pavement. Now, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Now, there is a key article that is left off in English that is very present in Hebrew. In verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone, it says in English. In Hebrew, it says of the stone. Why did that little article before stone become important? Because that little article is a definite article referring to the, the stone previously mentioned. So here the 74 come up onto the mountain and they see God standing on a sapphire platform, his throne. And then God says to Moses, come up here and I will give you tablets from the stone. Maybe you've looked at this before, but the, the beauty that God not only takes his finger and writes the law. By the way, many, many of, the, of the rabbis teach that God's finger burned all the way through that stone. I don't know either way. Whether it was just an indention, that's how I've always pictured it. Or all the way through, they said, no, 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 those tablets, you could read them from both sides. How that's possible, I don't know. They said it, his finger cut all the way through it. But not only did his finger write the law, burn into that stone, but his finger took and burnt a, a section, a corner of his throne in order to use to write the law. That law became a piece, or was a piece, of God's eternal throne. 
this, this becomes all the more powerful. When in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. You remember what it says? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Then let us approach... the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The throne, God's throne, Paul says in, in Hebrews, is, is a throne of grace. It's a, it's a, it's a place of, of covenant, of love, of, of relationship. We don't have to be afraid. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. It is a part of that very throne that God took in, in Exodus 24. And, 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 and I don't know how, if he burns it, if it just slices it like butter. I don't know how this works with God's hand and finger and this and sapphire stone. But he takes a corner of it. I just, I've always just pictured it as being one of the gray rocks on top of Mount Sinai. It's just... But, but that, that is so weak to think that an eternal covenant, God said, hey, Moses, you, you have anything around here I can write on? Yeah, just grab some of that rock over there. That's so anticlimactic. I just get some scratch paper. Let me write our uh, marriage certificate. We'll just sign a, a little scratch paper for our marriage certificate. Right? No! God says, I, I'm not just going to use any rock. I'm going to use the very rock that my throne sits on. Because this is a covenant of me with you. This is our agreement. And so God takes that throne, writes on it, and, and Paul says, hey, this is, this is good news. That, that law, that covenant, comes from the throne of grace. Exhibit number one, exhibit A, as it were, that the law is so much more than just a list of expectations from a deity downward. Exhibit B. Ready? There's two exhibits, so here it is, second exhibit. The Greek expression we talked about is decalogue. That's the ten words of covenant. That's the... That's the expression. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. God spoke all of these words. That's how he, it's introduced. These are words of covenant. God spoke all of these words. Do you remember how Jesus is introduced? God is introduced in the book of John in the New Testament. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was one and the same. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that had been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. That Word had life. And light. Oh, we could spend some time on that. Because that's the description 
of the covenant law in the Old Testament. It's the same as the description of Jesus. Themes of, of, of freedom and life and liberation. That's the theme of the covenant of God, the law of God. Psalm, Psalm 89 and verse 34. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the words that have come from my mouth. What is this? This is far more than a deity giving his, his commands, his law. This is a God who enters into a mutual covenant with us and says, all of these things, you shall have no other gods before me, I will have no one else before you. He returns exactly what he's asking us to bring to him, this covenant relationship. He's saying, I will do for you. So full circle, full circle with, the, with Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 becomes this narrative about one of God's followers. Coming with that covenant that he had put on his heart, he would signed it. It committed to it. God, I am, you're committed to me and I'm committed to you. And, and we, that can't, you're not going to break your word. I'm not going to break my word to you. What about if it's demanded of you, Daniel? What about if it's demanded of you? Daniel chapter 6 bears it out. Even when the laws of the land, which cannot be altered according to man, require it, and there's death and punishment as a result of it. I can't do it. I can't break my covenant with God. Daniel chapter 6 becomes the, the prophecy of a people who are so committed to this covenant with God, these, this, this, these words of, of, of agreement, this decalogue, this, this, this portion of God's throne, that it's more than life itself. I believe. I believe. That's the testimony of the remnant at the very end of the time. A Daniel chapter 6, the law of the land will require some, be in direct contradiction with a covenant that they've made with God. Not, a, not, the, not the, the checklist. Not the checklist. Because you can accidentally keep the commandments. But you can't accidentally keep a covenant. Why, why is this worth our Sabbath afternoon, beloved? 
I believe it's worth our Sabbath afternoon because we have, I have, I have, beloved, I'm, I'm, I'm joining the, I'm, I'm confessing to you. I had begun to check it off. Sabbath, idols, I've never had a problem with idols, taking God's name in vain, never... I've never, never really wanted to kill somebody. I've been bothered by somebody. Never really wanted to kill. It got down. Sabbath, I like the Sabbath. I have no problem with the Sabbath. As I went through the commandment, I realized that just without even trying, without even being committed, I was at 90%. Now you're doing the math. Ooh, well, what's the one problem then there, Michael? Well, anyway, don't worry about that. Don't worry about one, my, my problem. The point is, it had to be more than that. And to understand that, that the, the, commandment, the commandments were this covenant that I had with God, and, and it, was a, it was a spiritual journey, that thou shalt have no other gods before me meant something completely different. Don't take the name of... Let me, let me just give you one little teaser and then we're, we're going to wrap up here. Do you... Ah, I wish we could... No, let, let me just tease you with this. Taking God's name in vain. The essence of that commandment actually means... It, 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 has li- it includes cursing and profanity and using God's name in some sort of trivial, commonplace way. But the essence, the real foundation of that is that we wouldn't praise God when he deserves it. That's taking his name in vain. We're not giving him credit for when he deserves it. We take his name in vain. What? I thought just by by omitting the golly gosh and OMGs, I was fine. Never realizing that when I complained and didn't give God credit when he deserved it, I was taking his name in vain. You see, beloved, there's something more here. And that's what I mean. We're only scratching the surface. But if we go in to the final movements of Earth's history with this idea that check, 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 I'm done. We have totally misunderstood what God meant when he said, let's enter into a covenant. Let's have these 10 words be our covenant relationship. We'll have missed it. And the checklist will become negotiable if that's all it is. If it's just a checklist. You want to know the easiest thing to do? The easiest religion would be just to keep the 10 commandments checklist. That's not legalism. That's just the easiest way to do it. Because what is actually meant is so much deeper and more involved. God says, I don't want to, I don't want you just to, to toe a line. I want a deep, abiding relationship. And I'm afraid the commandment community has missed it. I could take you back to Maranatha.
There's calamity by land and by sea. Property and life are destroyed by fire and flood. Satan resolves to charge this upon those who refuse to bow to the idol which he has set up. His agents point to the seventh day Sabbath as the cause of the trouble. These people, they declare, are in defiance of our laws. They desecrate our day of worship. Were they compelled? Were they compelled to obey the law of, for Sunday observance? There would be a cessation of these terrible judgments, they declare. If we can only get everyone to obey the law that we have, it's unalterable. It would fix our society. And they will make a strong and very logical case. If all it is is a checklist, it will become negotiable. The heart of the, of the matter is this. Beyond this law, this taking God's name in vain, this stealing and honoring your parents and remembering the Sabbath day, is this, this invitation to enter a covenant with our God, whereby His death, He can save us. That's, that's, the, that's the full, hey, come into this covenant with me. When I think of the law now, after my, I spent this summer just reading and reading and reading, and, and my conclusion was this. There was a story that happened just this summer off the coast of Australia. I was in Australia earlier in May at this very spot. And looking out over the Pacific Ocean uh, back homeward, I, uh, I, I remember standing near the spot. I don't know exactly where the story unfolds, but near the spot, looking out of the Pacific Ocean and the fishermen that were going out. In June, a, a dad and his friend and, their, and his son went out fishing. All night they were fishing. They, uh, they went to sleep in their boat. They went to sleep in their boat. The, the son was seven years old. The father and his friend, they, 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 I guess it's what they do. They get out there. Uh, they rest for a little while. Uh, and, and whatever their strategy is fishing. But, but they knew that they were going to rest a bit out there in the boat. What they didn't know is that their, the rope holding the anchor was going to catch around the propeller, the prop. And as they slept, it cranked it up, pulling or cranked actually it down, pulling the back of the boat under the water. And they woke up to the boat being filled with water. They had just enough time to jump off the boat before it turned completely over, capturing all of the contents in it, including their life jackets, and uh, sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Two, two miraculously, miraculously, two pieces uh, popped up to the top of the ocean, two five-gallon buckets, empty. And so they turned those over and capturing the air, the, the friend held on to one and the father held on to the other, placing his seven-year-old son between him. And all through the night, they held on. At one point, before the son eventually lost consciousness, but before he did, he said to his, he said to his dad, Dad, 
we're going to be okay. Just don't let go of me. And sure enough, some 10 hours later, they were rescued. The son was taken, revived. But that line burns within me. After, after understanding Daniel's journey with his God, his covenant with his God, and the difficult times that, that, that will be across this planet before Jesus comes and fixes everything. I believe that that covenant, the law, as we, as we call it, is that agreement between us and God where God says, if, if you're willing, if you're willing to, to accept this covenant, it will hold us together. It will, it will be our mark that you're mine and I won't let go of you. It's so much more than a checklist. For Daniel, it set him as, as God could, could reckon, say, no, 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 I can, I can shut the lion's mouth for you. I can protect your life because you have been faithful to the covenant with me. So there's my, here's my plea, beloved. As, as commandment, as a community of commandment-keeping people, we've, we're, we celebrate the commandments. We, we're proud of, of the commandments. But we have, we have diminished them. We've lost it. We, we've, we've let them slide to where we won't call it what, what it is, but it's, it's nothing more than a checklist. I found that in my own life this summer, and I had to again fall on my knees and say, God, teach me again what you really meant by these commandments, because I have for the last number of years slipped into this, into this perspective, into this position that I'm good. I don't have anything to worry about the command. I don't even need to read. I mean, I have no conflict with the commandments. if that's all they are. But they are so much more. They are eternal covenant with God. And as we hang on to the, these difficult times, the, the waves will, will toss us here and there. But our covenant with God will be over these ten words. And God won't let us go. Father in heaven, so let it be that we are found faithful as as. As Revelation declares, here are they that keep the commandments of God, have the testimony of Jesus. They, they endure the most difficult times on this planet. There will be a time, we are told, that has never been on this planet since there was time. There will be difficulties, conflict, but we will be able to be as that seven-year-old boy looking into his daddy's face and saying, Daddy, we're going to be okay. Just don't let go of me. That's our covenant with you, Father. And you, according to Psalm 86, has said, I, I, won't, I will not alter the words that have come from my mouth. I will not break the covenant with you. I will be faithful to you. That's the story of the Old Testament. As you pled with your people. 
I'm faithful to you. Won't you be faithful to me? Oh, God, now the invitation is in, in, our, in our court. Will we be faithful to you? Oh, God, bind us to you with this covenant, this eternal covenant from your throne of grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.